This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod, together, as always, with Maxwell Vogue. Hey, Joris. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm great. How are you doing, Max? I'm good, thank you. It's a, a lovely Friday afternoon as we record this, so I'm looking forward to the fun weekend. Who do we have on the 3D Pod today? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, today I'm looking forward to the weekend as well. And today we have Dwan on the, the, the 3D Pod. Hey, Dwan, how are you doing? Hey, everyone. I'm doing good. Thanks. Dwan started as an industrial designer, right? Yeah. And uh, so later on, he worked in a bunch of industrial design jobs and ended up working for Shapeways. In 3D printing. Oh, Ponico. You did like a thing in Ponico before that. You worked in the yeah, blog at yeah, Ponico. Yeah. And then and then afterwards you worked at Shapeways. Then after you worked at in a business development kind of more kind of like at Shapeways, more of a an outreach kind of business development kind of role, then an autodesk. Uh and now he's then an entopology. And now you're doing a bunch of different stuff at your own company, Bits to Atoms, right? Yeah, correct. I'm doing the random stuff now. Okay, random is good. Random is very good. I do random stuff. It, I, I really, I, I recommend it to anyone. Uh-huh. And uh, Duan has a last name, but I have no idea what your last name is because I've known you for this long. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even like, I'm like Madonna. Scott, I just Scott, you I just knew just it. Yeah, you're like Madonna. You have like one name. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. What's her Scott. last name? No one knows. Yeah. doesn't matter. Uh, cool. You're just uh, so, you're so, a printed part or a symbol that's a printed part, and you can only print it. Uh, so exactly. it's uh, uh, no, no, the design's too complex to print. It's just like a, yeah, exactly. it's, it's a voxel grid. <laughs> exactly. Uh, oh goodness. So, uh, so first of all, like, uh, well, sir, well, first you got started in design, right? So that's how you got started. First off, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I started as an industrial designer. I was basically a CAD jockey. Okay. Okay. And then, yeah. and when did you, and then somehow you got in touch with 3D printing or? Yeah. yeah. So, so I was exposed to 3D printing in university in, in, uh, when I was studying industrial design. And when I left university and was just doing CAD work and design work and project management, I thought that the process of getting things made was, was painful, terrible, and n- not scalable because every time you finish design something, you had to design more stuff to make more money. And I figured it wasn't a very good business model. And so I was looking at what uh, like app developers were doing for, for the iPhone and mm-hmm. how they could make a product once and sell it multiple times without doing more effort. And so I started doing research on about how uh, industrial designer may better use that using digital tools. And mm-hmm. so I started a PhD at the School of Communications at University of South Australia, sort of exploring the theory of having an online fabrication service to manufacture something you design on demand. And then, you know, lo and behold, it started to happen with first Pinoco with laser cutting and then Shapeways with 3D printing. And so that's how I sort of made the jump from industrial designer to academia to practice. And I, d- I didn't finish my PhD, by the way. I was going to ask. Yeah. Are you, no. are you, were you never you did? Really? No, no, of course. No, I would, have oh. had to, I would have had to stop and, you know, spend a year oh. defending something which wasn't relevant anymore. Okay, okay. What did so you do it on? What, did you, what do you know, like, way too much about... Yeah. D- democratizing designs through digital manufacturing tools. Oh, okay. That, that, that's you, very you should relevant. Look at 3D printing. I got a makeup and got, uh, you know, now I didn't think it made any sense anymore. Okay. <laughs> and, and so been your thesis. You should have just submitted a maker bot and been like, uh, there you go. I, I think just, pr- just print spaghetti would have been a bit a more 
realistic thing at that point in time. It was, it was pretty early days. Okay. Fair enough. And, and, and so, and yeah, first you kind of got, first got really started at Shapeways, right? So how'd you get started there? What'd you do there? I, I started off uh, just writing for the blog. I, I met you obviously online somehow and, mm-hmm. uh, and got dragged into that world. And um, so that's sort of just promoting the capabilities and the potential and what it meant for designers and artists and makers to be able to get something made out of, without a real machine, without having a big investment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And then later on you ended up doing more like, like artist outreach and biz dev stuff, right? Yeah. So, so what would happen is uh, there would be interest from, from like big companies like Hasbro or Victoria's Secret and they wanted to, to do the 3d printing, but didn't know how. And so I would help them understand what's possible. And then, I would try and find a third party to do design work for them to try and sort of promote the community and the network effects involved in that. And so a lot of the work I did was to make projects happen using a third party designer and a major brand or an emerging brand to, to try and make cool things happen to showcase the potential and then help promote Shapeways through that sort of as a secondhand thing. So the idea was to promote the designer, the project, and then powered by Shapeways was kind of the, the way to do it rather than just bragging about a company making things for people. Okay. okay. All right. That's a, that sounds uh, very nice. And then, and, and did you, uh, and well, where'd you learn your 3d printing skill? Like, uh, okay, there's one thing to know a lot of CAD, but then, then, you know, applying to 3d printing is, is that, it was just practice or. Yeah. It's basically laziness. So okay. I don't want to have to, I don't want to have to do a drawing. I don't have to go down and, or, or assemble anything or to go and spend like weeks back and forth with a manufacturing engineer to figure out how to get something manufactured. And so with additive manufacturing, if you can figure out the process and the, the um, restraints are restrictions, you know, what you can actually do, then it can be somewhat more empowering to do more without having to do as much work. So, that, so my natural laziness made me good at designing for the process. Well, later on, you ended up like after Shapeways, you ended up like at uh, Autodesk, right? And what, what kind of stuff did you do there? Yeah, so I, when I joined Autodesk, it was uh, at the time was this the the concept was a Spark platform, which was um, the idea was a, a series of APIs to enable and extend the three D printing company's capabilities without having to do all the work again and again and again. So everyone's solving the same problems. Everyone's trying to mess, mesh. Everyone's trying to slice. Everyone's trying to do support structures. So instead of every company doing their own special source to make that happen, the concept was that Autodesk would provide a series of APIs on online for um, companies to use to sort of stop that repeated effort. Uh, it, it didn't quite work out that way. And um, at the same time as that, as that, program we had an investment fund to try and sort of you know have a carrot to bring people into the space so we had a hundred million dollars to invest in additive manufacturing machines material software to try and help um, grow that business mm-hmm. and in the end what we ended up doing was acquiring netfab and using that as the backbone for the additive manufacturing capabilities within autodesk more on the on the production side not so much on the design side per se Mm-hmm. And uh, over time, the the Spark uh, platform kind of went away, and they and they went with the Forge platform. And so that's when I sort of that's when I left and joined Entopology. So of, of of the investments and acquisitions we're looking into, one of them was Entopology, and I, I fell into the like with no prior experience, fell into the the role of doing the, a lot of the 
diligence on the investments because I had enough additive manufacturing understanding to know what was real and what wasn't. And I worked very closely with the corp dev team who did the actual hard work of doing the investments and the financial diligence. But one of the companies that I was we were looking at was Entopology at the time. And I sort of learned about what they were working on like when they were going beyond the ladder structures this was prior to the release of Entop platform. And I was pretty excited by the approach they were taking with the with the programming, like visual programming language for geometry. So that's when I sort of jumped ship and left corporate Autodesk and joined startup Entop. But Autodesk is a wonderful place to work, right? I mean, I, it's I really good, a lot yeah. of people that really, really like, uh, it's a really nice place, right? Yeah, and, yeah and then- there's really good people. Okay. Okay. And then, and then you ended up at Entop, which was completely different. That was chaos, right? In the beginning. I mean, I think compared to like Autodesk, <laughs> it was, right? It was, I mean, it's amazing. Well, software. yeah, well actually Autodesk is, has a consistency on the outside, but it has a lot of, you know, there's a lot of reorgs at, at Autodesk. So it's, it may, it, it has a monolithic big, slow moving ship, which has, does great work. Like I'm continuously impressed by what's happening in Fusion 360 and NetFab and other tools. Uh, but there's there's definitely chaos inside still. Uh, mm-hmm. but, you know, good people, but things change a lot. So it it wasn't too much, too disruptive to go to Antop, which um, was moving a lot faster. Like we had, there was you know two week release cycles, and a lot of uh, young people who PhD straight out of their they even finished their PhD joining the company to to do the work. So it was a it was a different culture. It was a very much a New York culture as well. Um, but it wasn't too hard to transition across. And then, and then now you're doing your own stuff, right? Now I'm just doing random consulting. Yeah. So, um, like what, what a gun for hire, whatever's required, whether it's you know, biz dev, marketing, design work, and and also sort of just sort of helping promote what I think is important is design and design for AM. So that mm-hmm. you know, I got started as a designer, and so my real passion is in the design process mm-hmm. and what it unlocks as far as performance goes. And so what I'm sort of focusing on at the moment is trying to help uh, mm-hmm. educate people on how to approach additive manufacturing for both performance and manufacturability. Mm-hmm. And so part of that is I'm helping out on the MIT online MX course as an assistant teacher, just helping people through the process, as well as helping organize currently a event at Penn State with Tim Simpson a two-day defam intensive. So what I've seen, you know, going to every event possible is that there's a lot of focus on the machines and materials and a little bit on the software, but the mm-hmm. design side of things is is sort of like a, a side thing that maybe gets a, a few words here and there in in the events. Mm-hmm. And so what I, I worked with Tim Simpsons and we're putting together a two-day schedule of purely design presentations and information and tools so we can sort of help help spread the word and people who already understand something can learn more and people who are new can learn a lot. And then, and then thirdly, I'm also working on a current, I guess it's a sub stack that I'm using. So it's basically just edu- DFAM education um, to help, you know, spread the word and give people more tools to understand how to approach design for AM. Uh, I'm a, a, a kind of a skeptic on the whole uh, uh, DFAM thing, right? That's that's great. <laughs> so, so, first, uh, yeah. so, so first, like my thing with this is that, okay, my problem with it is there's two elements here. One is this general optimization of parts to get the most out of the process, uh-huh. which is what engineers do anyway with whatever the process, right? Yep. So that's engineering or design 
I don't think it needs a new name. And the other thing is just like stuff, the hurdles to getting into AM, which I don't think should really exist. And, and I, I think it should really be, be taken away. And, and part of these are like just because software worries and part of them are just like, um, you know, just, just stuff that's like stupid about our technology or, or just stuff that we're like kind of like what I've said before, I think is that it's kind of defam is kind of like, like forcing people to learn Italian before they can try pizza, you know? I, I just don't the, think it's a realistic the, path to market as well. But anyway, go on. If you if you're gonna if you're gonna order a pizza in Italian, maybe in Italy, you maybe need it. Ideally, technology is kind of invisible, and you just do the shit, and it happens, right? But people aren't there yet, and the software can only guide you so so much. So I'd, I'd be I'm te- definitely interested in seeing where software can help people understand this. So when I was a early stage industrial designer. I would do sheet metal design work. So I would draw a box and then I would make SolidWorks tell me how to unfold it, where to put the the eyelets for the folds. And I would take the drawings down to the shop floor and say, is is this right? And they go, uh, it's close, but you need to change this, this, and this. But the fact that I got close because the software told me how to unfold a box into sheet metal was a massive help for me so if i would have gone from scratch and gone okay i'm gonna unfold this myself and figure out how to put the eyelets and figure out how what radius the bends need to be it would be a complete mess so i think if we can create tools for am that provide getting closer i don't think a automated solution for everything may not be possible but getting closer is what is required and so then you start learning through software then you have a feedback loop and we're sort of having that for process Mm-hmm. design in with simulation with build simulation it sort of says okay people can learn that if you have a, a large them large cross section going to a thin cross section there's going to be a thermal gradient there so we get a feedback loop in in sort of how we uh, feed the machines and what orientation we use but we don't there's less feedback loops for performance the two of those is what's going to help make defam invisible and i'm i'm only talking about it because it's needed now but i don't want to make you know spend 20 years doing this yeah, yeah okay, okay i like <laughs> yeah. that. that that's very hopeful that gives me that is hopeful because i was just wondering like i used to work for a company um like in a, a software company called backbase and we uh we did a thing called like it was a framework software and then and then and then there was javascript at the, the core of it right and there was always javascript wizards doing wizardy things in javascript but the idea was to make it kind of like a declarative much higher level kind of framework where you could just you know kind of like type essentially kind of like uh kind of like more like html like declarative and, and even like a bigger level more than that like a, having a graphical or kind of ide type interface uh where it would be much easier mm-hmm. uh, the idea you know so i saw in programming that yeah some artists could make amazing stuff in javascript but then higher level kind of frameworks above it made it accessible to so many people right now there's yeah. a big trend in no code right which is like the ultimate kind of like vision like uh kind of like version of that and I, I would love for things like that for uh, to be developed for 3d printing to make it accessible rather than for us to get lost in kind of like a kind of tribe of defam people making t defam unmissable you know yeah i think there's like there's two sides of it one one side is we just need to make sure the next generation of engineers and the current ones understand what's possible and what isn't it's not a magic box that's going to make everything all right and there are constraints and complexity is not quite free. There's lasers and stuff involved, which complex things can make them slow. And the second thing is to have software applications which just make the thing. So we don't need designers to make everything that we can 3D print. Like when you look at the 
the uh, aligner market, there's not a designer involved in in every aligner. There's an automated process based on inputs, which is being cleverly put together, mm-hmm. and that that to me is is a really important aspect of what should happen. Mm-hmm. And so I think the, the the two things need to happen simultaneously: App, software applications developed for specific. Um, purposes which then automate the process and we make lots of things and feed machines and the uh, OEMs are happy and then educating new new rate the, the new engineers and existing ones and what the pro- design processes are and if we do those two, two things simultaneously I think this will become adopted and transparent and we don't have to talk about it anymore Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love that. I mean, I love that. I, I love the idea that 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 we could have something like where the the, the geniuses could be working on the cutting edge, and then other yep. people could be making tools, and then yep. it would make it would just be very, very much more efficient. You know? Yeah, we don't need a a, a PhD engineer making a jig for yeah, holding exactly. something for machining. We could make an app which automates that processes, and then if something's more complex, someone jumps into CAD and modifies it. But for a lot of applications, it should be a drag and drop, this height, go, print, mm-hmm. feed a fortis, and everyone's happy. My, my own story is this. When I got in the market, like I, I've been obsessed with this kind of stuff for a really long time. So when I got on the market in 2008 or something, whatever, I, I was like, okay, this is going to be the rest of my life. You know, if, if I can work in here for the rest of my life, I'll be happy. And I thought of like, okay, do I learn CAD or not? And I was like, I was like, you know what? I won't learn CAD because it won't. It's it's going to be like learning typesetting, you know. Yep. And then somebody's going to come up with like Word, Microsoft Word oh, or whatever, or DTP. Right. <laughs> and I thought that the, the CAD would be like some facile thing to be solved in a couple months. And this was like a long many years ago. <laughs> so yeah, that didn't happen. And even now, like almost every single three D print process is a monolithic material with pretty much the same premise for the whole thing. So we're mm-hmm. just scratching the surface of what's possible in design really we don't mm-hmm. have we don't really have any multi-material there's some they don't have any major adoption of multi-material or volumetric change in parameters to change material properties yet but that's mm-hmm. happened as well otherwise we're just really not using the technology to mm-hmm. its full potential so the it's only going to get harder and the tools have to get a little bit smarter and help guide us into how to make those things happen but yeah. there's but there is a new wave of software companies coming out which are helping make that happen and they're either running sprinting forward as fast as they can or getting acquired and slowly integrate into existing CAD software. Yeah, I think I think the multi-material thing you, you you touched on is really important. I think I think you know gradient parts, things like just stuff that we could do with additive, like like for example, making uh, you know a crumple zone in your part or yeah. ma- changing yeah. the part along the axis so that it only flexes in one direction or something. Yeah. That if no one thinks in it. They're definitely not going to be a software for it. There's never going to be any kind of demand for it. And definitely no one's going to be able to pitch this to their boss. You know, Nobody's going to be able to go and say, hey, you know what? We're going to make a part that's gradient, and we're going to take this new technology to do this thing that no one else is doing. You know, It's, it's kind of this chicken and the egg thing now with, the, with the gradient but stuff. It's kind of obvious. If you look at like robotics, pneumatics, seals, like all the prosthetics, they need a hard shell outside and a soft inside. They can have a, a sandwich. The, the fact that no one that I am aware of has – designed and 3D printed a conformal sandwich but with a hard and soft material out of a real material mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy at this point in time so yeah. hopefully hopefully we can you know, there's, there's the, so the, much the potential big, the big dog guys Boston Dynamics they do yeah. a combo printing um, system that okay. also allows fluid flow uh, that's how they oh, do it yeah yeah so so this is this that's is slightly a, different than what you're talking about yeah, but yeah. What, what, I, what that, that is something that I think is under 
underused already. So we we as an industry talk about part consolidation. If you're doing part consolidation, you're taking an existing manufacturing process and optimizing it for for additive manufacturing. If you're designing mm-hmm. from scratch, you're doing what Boston Dynamics is doing, which is using the same material to do the the dynamic loads for the structure, for the hydraulics, for the electronics to come through. Like everything has should have multiple applications or could have multiple applications out of the same geometry set. So you shouldn't think of it as an assembly, but a series of functional things that happen within an object. So like your body doesn't have you know, we 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 have veins and we have blood and we have muscles, but they're kind of all gooped together. And I think we sh- should be thinking about design in that way already. And there's um, there's some who are sort of leading that a little bit, but it's 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 a, it's a step way beyond part consolidation. I call this. I wrote an article about this called Flow, where let's just look at like how energy flows through things and yeah. make the whole object in one really holistic way, rather than yeah, like you said, like think of it as just a bunch of assemblies. Because if yeah. you start thinking of assemblies, you're going to make lots of parts, and we don't have to make those parts. We can consolidate them, but we can also never make them in the first place. Yeah. So if we if you design the whole system and then cut it up, that would be yeah. closer to what I think design could be. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Totally. Uh, so first of all, is, is it kind of scary being like all your own, trying to make your own way in the world, doing your own like 10 different things? Or is it just really <laughs> exciting to you as well? Oh, it's it's the highs and lows. It's, it's exhilarating and terrifying at the same time. Uh-huh. Yeah. So okay, okay. It, and it's always, as any, I, well, I was doing consulting in Australia as well before I moved to New York. And it was always yeah. feast and famine. So you got to you know, store your grain. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, exactly. I, I think it's the same thing. It's kind of like, it's like sometimes it's like amazing. And sometimes also what I've noticed is there's with consulting is a lot of like, a lot of bad kind of can come at the same time. So it's like, as in, uh, yeah. no, I don't have a customer for next month. My current customer is horrible. This project needs <laughs> this and I'm overworking. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like yeah. a lot more than like, kind of like a, a job with like, um, yeah, more, uh, nine to five ish, I guess. Yeah, uh, but it's good to the one. One of the benefits is you get to see the trends internally. So you see the the trends that companies are, are having inside their companies that they're not talking about in their marketing or to their customers, and that's mm-hmm. that's for you know an interesting insight to get access to. And it you know it and you you see connections that you can sort of apply between different companies or different applications or ideas for something else. And so it's a, it's a, it's been interesting for sure. I sort of got a, a touch on it when I was working at both Autodesk and Shapeways and and Entop in that I was always external facing. So I was always looking at other companies and their approach. And obviously when I was when I was vetting for the investment fund, um, that you get to see all the startups which, which are coming down the line, which is super exciting. Um, and you see all the problems they're facing or they're going to face, which they are sort of oblivious to, which is also interesting. Like, for, for, Do you think you're going to do this for a while or are you really kind of like, kind of you know you might join a startup you don't know yet yeah if i if i find something if i find something which is like cutting edge pushing things quickly forwards and uh has has enough potential for me to dig in and put a lot of time in i'll 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 do that but at this point in time i'm I'm just like figuring out what Mm -hmm. what works but it's it's been interesting and the other thing i'm also doing is working helping out the 3mf consortium to help people understand the value of moving away from just an SDL file or just a CLI file. And, and so, okay. So one of, okay. You think DFAM is the immediate future, right? 
And you think more of a flow kind of world is, is the longer term future. But what needs to happen? What are the things that we need to tackle? So you're working with the 3MF people, so I understand they're doing important work. What are, what are some other stuff? It's primarily it's education. Education and ensuring design tools have guidance to help people, which, again, which is edu- education through software. So I think they're the, they're the two major things that need to happen. I don't think that it's healthy to be comparing and chasing the injection molding kind of market. Like mm-hmm. the, the, these comparisons, the injection molding people aren't looking at 3D printing going, oh no, they're going to catch up to us. They're like, we've got orders to fill. We're going to make this happen. We pump out things. And I think that there's so much potential for additive manufacturing to do things that can't come close, like injection molding can't come close to. So there's a huge amount of potential that we can be ignoring and trying to chase lots of plastic things. And there's enough plastic things, yeah. you know. We don't need more plastic things yeah. in the world just <laughs> filling up the oceans. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really funny. I, I once, uh, actually, when I was at Shapers, I visited a large design company in the Netherlands, and I was I was like taking some stuff with me. It was actually it was X one parts, and it was like a 2011. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was taking it to them. And I was already ready with my whole spiel. Like, yeah, it's not like uh, the same look as uh, you know as as uh, you know in machine parts and stuff. And it's a little bit different. But the guys, this is a droge actually. It was a company. Droge. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're cool. Uh, uh, and uh, and uh, they and they were like, we love it. We yeah. we love the, uh, the the looks really cool. And they really liked the 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 the, the quality of these X one parts as they come out of the machine. To them, that that was a materiality. That they could play with just as, as soon as just the same as if it was marble or if it was yeah you know something else everything has its inherent beauty and what well, you know why chase a, a technology that has been around for 50 years and isn't exciting you know the the only th- the only time i, I kind of get in, in excited about injection molding is when i'm looking at the parts by lumafield who are doing three scans like cat scans of them and seeing the complex designs and the multi-material and then multiple injections. That's what I think, oh, wow, that is kind of cool. But mm-hmm. I, I don't want to be designing for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I like seeing my injection molded parts come out. But I'd also love it there for it to be an alternative way to produce that kind of volume for that price. Yeah. Um, but why? If it's working, it's like... Speed. Because of the oh, 30 the tooling, 45 the t- days it takes. The, yeah, the tooling. The, the tooling cost. The tooling. Yeah. Tooling costs, I'm not, it's more the weight that you have to like sit there and wait for them to EDM steal. So what, uh, about, what about companies yeah. like Mantle who kind of help crossing that? Yeah, I'm ex- I've been exploring those guys. I'm actually really, um, yeah. it's, getting, it's getting the tool makers uh, open to that it has been more difficult than I initially thought it would be. Yeah, um, so I think, yeah. I think that's where, where Additive has more is more interesting is helping make you know, the, the speeding up the, the design and the manufacturing process. So Mantle and Fortify are both doing interesting stuff with injection molding components or components for injection molding. I think yeah. that's cool. Let's let's play there. There's plenty of room. Yeah, no, exactly. I like that. What are some other applications you really like then? I love, for example, I know you, you did some stuff for Hollow and I love like heat sinks. It's just one of my favorite things in the world at the moment. Yeah, I think what's great about any thermal application is it actually has massive effects for the environment and for sustainability and for energy use. And I think, you know, we talk we talk about the sustainability of additive manufacturing and go, I don't know, those like a yeah. laser going over, <laughs> I don't <know>, maybe. <laughs> but then, yeah. we've, then we can make a thing which is like 80, you know, if it's even 10 times more efficient, that's um, that's massive. So that's super exciting. And anything I can do to help those people design those things, and I'd be happy to do what I can. And, and it's cool that there's so much 
uh, but software now to optimize thermal flow and, th- and thermal. I don't, I'm not a thermal engineer. I don't know the proper words, convection or something, whatever. And these new materials and the fine resolution of someone like Hollow who can just do insanely high resolution, small components for cooling chips and whatever. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's exciting. Yeah. And what are some more things? What, what, what else do you like? I like one-off components for small businesses manuf- making manufacturing parts, like ugly parts that no one sees. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, okay. Right. Like the, yeah. Yeah. the oil you, industry needs a valve or something. Yeah, like yeah. Or yeah. you know, you can you can make a robotic end effector which makes the machine be able to run twenty four seven because it's more efficient and lighter, rather than you know that the fancy space components are, are are cool and easy to Instagram or LinkedIn, but the little <laughs> the little widget which makes the other like the million dollar machine more efficient is kind of more exciting and there's so many applications there once people understand they can like jam jam that to help their machine work better i think that's way more exciting than some of the flashy stuff which the internet likes is there a particular technology on the additive side that you're out of the software realm on the hardware side of the machines that you're on the hardware side yeah Uh, i know i know software is the biggest bottleneck for most people on it but i'm curious what on the physical side what you are looking forward to maybe exploring more coming up in the world. Yeah. There's nothing that like, I like the ones which are it's kind of a new approach rather than a bigger machine or a slightly faster, faster machine. Right. E- yeah. Except for except for Vulcan forms, which is insanely fast. So I think that's I think that's kind of mind blowingly giant leap forward. So I'm I'm excited to see what comes out of that different um, business model when you can get things made so quickly. Uh, and I'm in, and I'm and again. I'm interested in multi-material. So Inkbit has a lot of potential with their process being proper polyjet components for end-use parts, which is multi-material and with a vision system to make sure you get exactly what you designed. I think that's kind of cool to have those components together. But again, software is where I'm in design. No, process. no, software is where you're. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you, what we do you say? We'll agree that something yeah. needs to happen to the software. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so what needs to happen there? Also? On, on the software side, yeah. So we talked a little bit about this multiple level, higher abstraction level thing. What you know? Do we need to like? Yeah. What, what else? What else do you think? Are you passionate about on the software side? I think guiding designers to help them understand what's possible. I have, when I but, but I caveat that with when I see a topology optimization with a build orientation in the code, I kind of question whether that's the right approach because I think that it's like you optimize for the performance and then you go in afterwards and you optimize for manufacturability afterwards. So I think having a tool which can go across can help guide you in the right direction for performance and then have someone else share that same software to do manufacturability. I don't think it needs to be the same person who does both the performance design and the manufacturability design, but I think they should have a, a single platform to use to do that. I think that's what is required. And then, of course, if we want adoption in major companies like aerospace, automotive, we need to make sure all the design software connects to the existing PLM systems, simulation tools. We can't have standalone tools which which don't play with others nicely because then the adoption is only going to be in R&D labs and not in full engineering teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that's mm-hmm. the, the, the two sides of it, or three or four. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. <laughs> but I think, I think interestingly, I think what it seems now Autodesk is doing and is to just get a you know it's a subscription and they're going to just lay on more and more services, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then Dassault is I'm not entirely sure what Dassault is doing. Uh, and um, at the same time, it seems like th- there's these very very big players, and they just every once in a while, if a company gets big enough, like a couple hundred million or whatever, they'll pick out one and be like, oh yeah, let's buy that one, right? Mm-hmm. And is it possible to have a real true alternative to the Siemenses, the Autodesks, and all this other world? Is it really possible for somebody to grow out to become a really independent new player? I think only if you are able to play with the with them through file transfer sort of natively to those mm-hmm. big player software. So if you mm-hmm. are completely independent and no one's going to use just your software alone unless it's something like a, a dental aligner when they can just run the script headless and you know you're pumping out things but if you're doing engineering work where something's in an assembly and you need to have the center of gravity and other components to to see how that you know balances out in the entire assembly you need to be able to play with the big guys otherwise you cannot get Mm -hmm. true adoption i believe Okay. Okay. And then, and so then we have the 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 the, the gorillas we know about. But then there's also companies like Ansys or stuff where you alluded to that before with the CFD, the FEA stuff. Yeah. And that seems to be that that that's going to be like converging more and more, right? That's going to be like you can't do one without the other anymore in a, in a while, or does it for the critical engineering applications, right? For for, for high end engineering, yeah, it's it's different for for industrial design, product design, and things like. As I said, the, the guys making the ugly thing that goes inside of another machine, which makes it more efficient. There, you mm-hmm. can kind of sometimes get away without that FEA connectivity. But for, otherwise, if you're doing you know, high performance components, then mm-hmm. it's absolutely essential. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think I think there just seems to be a bit of a convergence thing happening there as well. But and then yeah, and I understand the need for lightweight tool stuff. Now then, there's another buzzword which we haven't talked about, but I think it's really interesting. It never it didn't come up, and that's this whole this generative design thing. Because uh-huh. that was that was the end. Like we, I, I remember we talked about this. Like when in the beginning, when you were still in, were you in New Zealand or Australia or somewhere? Probably Australia. In, yeah. uh, and yeah. I was in the Netherlands, and we were talking about this generative design. And it, what's your thought on that? Because back then, we we were both, I think, really excited by the prospect of just like kind of like automating everything. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I'm still so the I think the term generative design has multiple meanings to multiple people. Okay, okay. Let's, if, if, let's if, clear that up first. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Let's define so, this. <laughs> so to, to me, it like there's a, a marketing term of generative design which requires multiple outputs which you then you know go down and down select down to your final design. I think we can have something which is generative which just generates a design. And then it could make multiple mm-hmm. ones, but it could make one and it's still generative. It, there's just a new tool in Fusion 360, which I think they call it um, automated design or something. And basically, yeah. you just define whatever surfaces you want to connect and whatever thing you want to avoid. And it will generate some geometry between mm-hmm. those things. It doesn't have any simulation. It doesn't have any material awareness. It just goes, oh, yeah, I can connect those those things with however many you got. To me, that's generative. And to me, it's really cool because you even if you're an industrial designer or someone who's working on the shop floor, you can get a an interesting geometry that isn't doesn't pretend to be optimized, but you can use it as a starting point to then pull things down and design something which meets your requirements. And again, if you're doing you know hardcore engineering, you need to do the the math and the simulation to make sure it works. But if you're doing something which is just connecting a few things together, 
I think it's pretty cool to be able to generate a, some geometry without having to draw a line, tune a spline, add a radius, do some boring stuff, which is, you know, was designed for people to do machine a block away. Even though it's not, it's not optimized, it's still getting closer to guiding someone into what's possible, which is connect a couple of things. And so I think that is interesting. And I still think, you know, the concept of generating concepts, which you then use as inspiration to, to tune your engineering process or design is, is super cool. It's super cool. It's, you know, I've been, I've, as everybody, I think now on the internet has been experimenting with uh, mid-journey with both visual and audio prompts to create something, whatever it is, doesn't matter. But the guidance to your creativity to think of something that you wouldn't otherwise do if you were just following your standard, you know, automata routine of I design brackets with triangles and I do a web. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so if beautiful triangles, beautiful triangles, you know, <laughs> if you're some sort of Pythagorean mathematic proof to make sure that's the perfect thing, I don't know. What is cool is though, you just say, oh, sh- I never would have considered this to, to describe this. And so then even if you don't use that, as your final design, it can just guide you to go into a direction which you wouldn't otherwise. And so it's this sort of creative engineering process, which I find really, really interesting. And I don't, I don't ex- expect generative to give me the final answer, but to guide me in the direction where it could, where it could go. Yeah, that could be really exciting. And and yeah, just to answer one, where do you, where do you hope to be, or where do you hope to achieve for the next five years? Where, what are you kind oh of like God. looking at doing? <laughs> It's a very personal question. If you're like, a, yeah, right? nobody's ever asked me that. Like, where do you want? You want to be self-actualized? You know? That's exactly. You want, you want, you want self, to see your abs again? Your self-actualization is exactly. It. Oh, good, good, good. But but uh, but, do you have any other things you want to do or you want to work on that you haven't disclosed yet? Or I, I'm interested in in you know continuing to explore design, and it doesn't have to be additive. Like I've got, I come from a background where I didn't start an additive obviously not many people did unless they're you know 21 now and so i'm always interested in, in other you know areas of design like I, I worked in exhibition design interiors furniture interactive design and so there's always you know a little bit of something pulling at me going this could be interesting and so <laughs> if, if there's some way to sort of melt computational generative design into other aspects of design that's not just additive, then I'm completely open to exploring those as well. And there's some projects I've got that aren't public, but have been interesting to sort of take that same mindset and apply it to different uh, fields. That sounds really exciting. Well, thank you for joining us today, Dwan. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. And I'm glad, I don't really have anything to plug, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, was thinking, I was thinking about, I was thinking last night, what am I going to talk about? Because I don't have anything I need to really like, oh, sell. You talk about Inkbit, right? You do stuff with Inkbit. I managed to give you a plug for Hollow as well as you worked on. I actually don't work for them anymore. They were just, that was a um, short, they were short-term projects. Uh, I'm just, I'm still believe that okay. they have potential. So I told you, I told you, me too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess the one thing I could just talk about, this is timely, so if someone listens to this podcast in the future, 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 it's not going to be relevant, but uh, the, the DFAM uh, event at Penn State. If you no. want to up your game, learn more, or participate, it's it's interesting. It's Google DFAM event, and it should be up the top somewhere. Um, I think that cool. I think things like that are what excites me now. It's interesting. And okay, thank, cool. thank you, thank yeah. So thank you for the opportunity to, to ramble about something 
and nothing in particular. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's I, it's a lot of fun for us to actually to have conversations like that. Just ramble. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 And Max, thank you for being here as well today. Always happy to be here. And thank you for listening. Uh, this is another episode of the 3D Pod. Uh, you have a great day. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.